So, in a recent book, A Molecule Away from Madness, a curious medical case was analyzed, and it is fascinating. So, a recent college graduate was home and uh, watched several hours of a well-known post-apocalyptic zombie TV show. She was watching it like over and over again, and one day she began to believe that that zombie post-apocalyptic... That's a long word. Apocalyptic world was real. And that she was in it. She was living the TV show. Which is terrifying for her. Probably most of all. But terrifying for her family. They were wondering, what is happening? So, the family couldn't figure out why her grasp on reality began to slip. The doctors couldn't figure it out. They weren't sure is... Is her understanding of reality begin to slip? Or they thought maybe it was uh, drug use? And they finally realized, after a good amount of time, that the underlying problem turned out to be not in her brain. It was a tiny tumor somewhere else in her body, and her immune system attempt at destroying it had caused her break from reality. Fascinating. Now, I am 100% sure that there's a 0% chance this will happen to any of us. I am positive of that. But what we see here is that when your grasp on what is real slips, it has life-altering effects. Some big, some small. And the Christian is no stranger to losing their grip on what is real in the Christian life. There's a reason so often the Christian is told to what? All throughout scripture. Remember. Remember who God is. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what God has done. And God doesn't tell us that over and over again because we mentally forget it. Right? We don't forget that God is judge and that we should fear him. We don't mentally forget that but our heart forgets it. And that shows up when we really aren't that serious about fighting sin. We don't mentally forget that God is love, that he loves those who belong to him. But when we sin and mess up, our heart forgets it. And that shows up in how we continually beat ourselves up over and over again for our mistakes. Like We don't mentally forget what is real in the Christian life, but our heart does. And you know, if you follow Jesus for any period of time, you know how easy it is to drift, for our hearts to forget. It's natural, kind of. If you aren't intentional to focus on the things unseen, our minds and hearts will always drift to focus on only what is seen and in front of us. And the devastation of this is serious. You've probably seen this in your own heart and in the hearts of others. It impacts your heart for the lost when you're only focused on you on what is seen. In your marriage, it affects it. Your fight with sin, your heart for God, all of it is affected when your heart forgets the things God tells us over and over again to remember. And I thought the week after Easter... And the week before we jump into Hebrews, I thought it would be good, sweet even, to unpack the reality of Jesus' resurrection and exaltation and what that means for you. 
And it's not an exaggeration to say that if you get this, if your heart holds on to this, it changes everything. But if your heart forgets this, or maybe if you don't know these things, you are missing out on so much goodness in the Christian life. Now, we are going to be in Ephesians 1, 15 to 22. Our main text, Ephesians 1, 15 to 22, will not be on the screen. So I would encourage you, get your physical Bibles or your phone or look at the person's Bible next to you. And the reason is because if you don't have it in front of you, we're going to be jumping around. If you don't have it in front of you, your understanding of kind of what we're talking about will be weaker. So, and the other verses will be up there on the screen as we look at them. Now, I want to pray for our time together, but as we do that, I want to remind us of this. This time together, as we look at God's Word, it is worship. Not just for me, but for you, if you've believed in Jesus. Which means this is time for active participation. Now, that doesn't mean we're all talking at the same time, because no one's going to get anything. But what it does mean is that as we are reading God's Word, and we're pulling out truths, and we're holding it up and looking at who God is, you are praying, God, help me, I can't do this. God, thank you for who you are. You are thinking about your own life and what this means for you and what you're going through. You are thanking God, asking Him for help, thinking about your own life and how it applies to you. I mean, you are actively participating in this time. That's how it becomes worship. Preach these things to yourself as we look at God's word. Now, we're going to start by actively participating in prayer. As I pray, I would encourage you to pray quietly to God and ask him for help. He knows best what you need. And sometimes he can show you something that I didn't. Like, God doesn't need me. He can push me out of the way and he could totally change your life and I had nothing to do with it. It's always God. Um, but like, pray that God would help you and speak to you and ask that God would help me because I cannot do this on my own. So, right now, let us close our eyes, bow our heads and ask God to help us now. Dear God, I thank you Lord, I thank you for everyone here. In person, those that might be watching us online or watching us later. Lord, you know best what they went through this week, what they went through this morning to get here. Lord, you are so good. I pray, God, that you will take your word and you will let it rest in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we will be able to see how good you are and we will know you and enjoy you. Lord, those that do not know you here, I pray that they will see their need for you. Lord, I pray you'll help me as who am I to be up here? Lord, you are so gracious and merciful. I pray, give me wisdom. Lord, if there is something I should not say, let me forget it. Let the people forget it. Lord, I pray you'll be honored and that it will be all about you. You'll be working. Now, I thank you. Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen. So we are in Ephesians chapter 1.
verse 15 to, we're actually going to do 2 verse 23. Uh, only verse 22 is on the screen. Whatever. So, verse 15. This is God's word. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. I realize that none of the verses were on the screen, so it didn't matter that verse 23 wasn't up there. Uh, This is God's words. This is Paul writing. So what we're going to look at is the reality of Jesus' resurrection and exaltation, and we'll explain that last word. And then we're going to look at three realities for the Christian. So we're actually going to work backwards through the passage because I think it's helpful to see how Jesus' resurrection and exaltation is the foundation for those three realities that Paul talks about. Hope, inheritance, and God's power working in you. So we're going to work backwards because I always like to know the foundation before we move on. So that is what we're going to be looking at. And, And kind of the main point, if you get nothing else, is that Christ's death... His resurrection and exaltation make the Christian's hope, inheritance, and God's power in them a reality. Right? So we have foundation and then what that means for you. So we're going to real quick look at verses 15 to 16, even though it's not part of your outline in the bulletin. Like this, this letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus is not like some dry, boring letter. This is someone pouring out his heart to people he loves very much. And you see that because he says, since I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And I was reading that and I thought of you, New Life Church. I am thankful for you, and I love you, church. This week, I was at a, uh, a pastor's conference. There were like 12,000 pastors, and it was a slice of heaven because uh, there were times where 12,000 uh, pastors and, and Christians were singing the sweet hymns, and it was only a piano and our voices. It was a slice of heaven. It was beautiful. But the last day, I found myself wanting so badly to be here with you because I love singing with you best because I love singing the songs and seeing what the song is about and knowing I know what they're going through, Lord. I, I love praying, like, Lord, help them as we sing this. 
And, and I love seeing you worship because I know what's going on in your heart and your life. And to see you worship despite what's going on in your life, that speaks to my soul. No pastor's conference could ever beat this time together. I thank God for you, New Life Church. And I want to grow in my love and my thankfulness for you. So that is a side point. But I thought of you as I was reading that. So we are going to be, uh, jump down to verse 20. The reality of Christ's resurrection and exaltation. So, verse 20. He exercised this power, and we'll talk about that in several minutes. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. So, just here in verse 20, we see two things about Jesus that cannot be said about any other God or any other thing you may worship. We see that Jesus died and was resurrected. Now, I don't know everyone here, and I don't know everyone watching, but what is said here about Jesus cannot be said about any other God in any other religion. Only Jesus, the one true God that we worship, came, personally came from heaven to earth to save rebels from their rebellion. Look in any other religion. Like you don't see that about any other God. And you don't see any other God or any other prophet that other religions will worship where they were resurrected from the dead. Like you don't see that. So if you're here and, and maybe you, you don't believe in Christianity, you're following some other religion or you're watching and that's you, I want to say... This is only true about Jesus and Jesus alone. The one true God that we serve and worship. Now if you're here, and and maybe you're struggling with the reality of the resurrection, like, I'm struggling to believe that that actually happened. Like, the Christian life is all about trusting despite proof, but there are still logical reasons why we trust that Jesus physically rose from the dead. And if if that's you, I just real quick want to encourage you, come see me after or write on the connect card because I will send a few resources to help you think through that. Don't struggle with your doubts alone. So we see here, Jesus died and was resurrected. That can't be said about any other God or anything else you worship. Like, I don't know what you make your life all about, but nothing that you make your life about comes close to Jesus. Nothing else in your life loves you the way Jesus did. Nothing else. No one else cares for you the way Jesus did by personally coming and dying to save you from your sins. Your your job, your family, your spouse, your loved one, that relationship, your success, your entertainment, none of that comes close to how sweet and good Jesus is who is dead and then risen. Now, real quick, this is kind of obvious, but sometimes I like to state the obvious because it makes my job easier and sometimes it's helpful for us to be reminded of the obvious and unpack it a little bit. Right here we see that Jesus is alive. We know that. But does it always feel like that? Like when you're praying and it feels like God is nowhere to be found? When, when life hits, your sin hits, and it, and it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be found, he is alive. 
He is not dead. He is not powerless. He is not distant. He is present and alive, friend. He knows you personally. He loves you. So we see all of that just in verse 20. So that's Jesus' resurrection. There's so much to unpack there. But we also see here his exaltation. That's one of those like five cent words. Like to exalt means you're being risen to a place of power. Jesus was risen by God and he was risen to where God is in heaven forever. Now the really interesting thing is Jesus was risen to where he was before he came, became a man. Jesus is now where he was before he, he came here as a baby. And when you think about it, like that highlights how much he gave up for you. He was right there with God. And he came here, humbled himself to save you. Like that shows how much he loves you. How much he went out of his way to save you. A broken, lonely, lost sinner. He loves you. Like Philippians 2 talks about this. Philippians 2, 5 to 7. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. We worship one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equal, yet distinct persons. Jesus, this this verse doesn't say that Jesus wasn't equal with God. He was equal with God. What he did is he kept his godness... He added humanity to his deity and he came here as a baby. That is God in human form. He gave all of heaven right there with God. He gave that up for you. And that is remarkable because I give up very little for even those I love. I give up almost nothing for those that I, I struggle to love. Like that is God's love for you. That's what he gave up for you. That is the Jesus who is dead, resurrected, who's serving by God's side. This should humble you, friend. That God chose to satisfy his justice by pouring out the punishment of sin on Jesus, his son, so that those who would believe would be saved. You should be humbled and in awe that Jesus is now where he was before he came here on earth. So he is seated at the right hand of his Father. Now, do you ever wonder what Jesus is up to right now? He's up to a lot of things, right? Probably things we don't even know. But do you ever wonder, like, oh, I wonder what he's doing? Like, we sing that he's resurrected and, and, you know, he's exalted and he's at the right hand of the Father. We know these things, but have you ever thought about what that actually means and why that matters? It matters everything. Like, the fact you getting to heaven safely all depends on what Jesus is doing right now. It depends on what he did on the cross and it depends what he's doing right now. So right now, this is what Jesus is doing. In Hebrews 7.25, 
This is what it says. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to intercede for them. So that word intercede means pray. Now, we don't exactly know what all of that means. But Jesus is praying for you if you've believed in Jesus. That is a humbling and encouraging thought. And because Jesus is praying for you, he's going to get you to the end. That's what this verse is saying. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, this is what he writes. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. Oh, listen to this. But if anyone does sin, that's me, that's you. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Friend, if you sin, Jesus is praying for you and he's your advocate. That means he is working on your behalf to defend you, to keep his promises. Now, if you want to unpack that a little bit more because we can't hear, I would encourage you to Google or whatever uh, browser you use. Look up, what does it mean that Jesus is our advocate uh, by gotquestions.org because that unpacks it more. But listen, like Jesus is working on your behalf. He's defending you. He's praying for you. Even when you sin and mess up and you feel like it's, it's you are alone and you can't come to God. In that moment, like when you confess your sins, he's praying for you and he is defending you. You're not alone. That is what Jesus is doing right now in heaven. And we see here in Ephesians 1, verse, uh, at the end of verse 22 and verse 23, it talks about how he's over the church, which is good news. Because every church leader throughout all of history has failed in sin. The church is messy, folks. Our church, every church. You're going to see everywhere. Churches falling, leaders falling. And it's very easy to become discouraged. In fact, I have been. When it's like all this fighting in, in just in, in kind of um, the American church. Like all this fighting about things that aren't the main issue. And it's so discouraging. But it is encouraging to remember, Jesus is in charge. He's not going to abandon us. That is great comfort and great news. Now what else is Jesus doing right near, right now? He's seated at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. Not only in this age, not only right now, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet. Jesus is ruling above all. Right now. Now his physical reign will come, but right now he's in charge and he's working. That gives me great hope. Just last week, I was with Allison's parents and they were watching the 10 o'clock news and I haven't watched it probably since the last time I was with them. And it was crushing. It feels like everything is going on and wrong in the world, right? It's, it's terrifying. It feels like everything is falling apart. It is depressing. But that's nothing new. Everything going wrong is not new in 2022. It was the same in 1982 and forever. Since the original sin, everything has been going wrong. Everything has been falling apart. You might not have to look that far to feel that in your own heart, that everything's going wrong. 
But take comfort because Jesus is above every authority, every dictator, every nation, every country, every ruler. Rulers will come and go. God-haters will come and go. But Jesus will always reign forever and ever. Take heart. As it may seem like everything is falling apart and everything is going wrong, but God is working everything out to show us who He is and to work everything out for our good and His ultimate glory. It may not feel like it. And sometimes it may feel like all you can do is just hold on to that even if you're struggling to believe it, but He is above all. That is so comforting. But the fact that He is ruling is also a little terrifying. Because all will bow before God one day. We see that in Philippians 2. Some willingly, and some not willingly, because they rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is what a Christian commentator wrote about the end When we all stand before Jesus. Here is the bitter irony of their lot. Though they damn themselves eternally by their refusal to face the truth, one day they will be forced to face it. Sooner or later, the glory they refuse to give the Creator willingly will be torn from them by the spectacle of His wrath. All will bow before God. Because He is worthy of glory. If you are here and you do not know Jesus, one day you will bow before him. And that is certain. And if you do not know Jesus now, that should terrify you, that thought. But it is not too late. His grace can save even the most hardened of hearts. So, now as we think about Jesus ruling over every dominion, every ruler, every authority. There's, it's not a contrast, but it's almost kind of a contrast of like God as fierce ruler and then Jesus as shepherd and gentle. It seems like a contrast. It isn't, but it is. Like when Jesus comes back, heads are going to roll. Like he is making all things right. He's going to punish the wicked, which I deserve that punishment, but by, by God's grace, that punishment is not for me. But Jesus is fierce. Like Time is running out and he will be returning. But at the same time, he is a gentle shepherd. We kind of see both of these things in Revelation 1-7. So in Revelation 1-7, this is uh, John who followed Jesus, who knew Jesus. He has a vision of Jesus. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. So here we kind of see Jesus as fierce, ruler, kind of fearful and terrifying. But at the same time, what does he do to those who know him? He says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Like when we stand before Jesus, I am pretty confident we're all going to fall like a dead man. But for those who know Jesus, like I trust he's going to say, don't be afraid. I'm the first and last the last. So that's Revelation 1, 17. So, that is Jesus' resurrection and exaltation. It changes everything about the Christian life and what we'll see in the, working backwards that it secures hope, inheritance, and God's power working in us. So there's, there's so much to unpack. Let's start in verse 18. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So we have the reality of hope. Now hope is trusting and looking forward to what is to come, the things unseen. Now when I think of hope, like I think of clinging as tightly as possible. Like uh, when I was in middle school, I did this ropes course at this really fun place. But I was terrified because I'm not the most coordinated. And like as I was walking on like the ropes, I was clinging to the rope as tight as possible. Yes, I was secure because if I fell, it would have held me. Thankfully, otherwise I would have died. But I was holding on tightly. That's kind of what we do with this hope of God's calling. Like, if you believe in Jesus, you're secure. But you're clinging to it when everything seems to be going wrong. Now, this isn't just a general vague hope. Look there in verse 18. What is the hope? It is the hope of his calling. Our hope is that God initiates salvation and God calls those who will believe in him. We see that in the Gospels. We see that in the book of Ephesians a lot. We see it in Acts. We see it all throughout scripture. God starts the process of salvation. He finishes it. He calls those who will believe. We see it in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So right there, we see briefly the hope of this calling that he calls those who will believe and Jesus will raise them up on the last day that they will make it home safely this gives so much hope that God is the one who calls you and draws you you put your faith in Jesus what he did on the cross for you and God looks at your faith who you are putting your faith in Jesus and he shows you grace and makes you his own. Now, here's why this gives us hope. Because God always finishes what he starts. God doesn't start something and then say, this is too difficult, never mind. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Jesus always finishes what he starts. And if he has called you, he will finish what he has started. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24 says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So that word sanctify is he's going to make you like Jesus. Like the Christian life is not just you put your faith in Jesus and you say, I'm good until I die. The Christian life is you put your faith in Jesus and God the Holy Spirit works in you to make you more like him. You live out your reality that you belong to God. And it says he himself will sanctify you. He will make you like Jesus. And the goal is completely, which happens when you stand before Jesus. Right, Paul here writing is saying your whole spirit, your soul, your body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will get you home and you will stand before 
God blameless because Jesus' righteousness has been placed on you. And that last verse is, gives us so much hope. He who calls you is faithful. He's going to do it. That is God who calls. That is the hope. But it is really easy to lose hope. When you screw up so bad, worse than you ever have before, when you just feel the weight of everything going wrong, it's hard to trust that he's faithful and he's going to do what he's promised. You've probably felt that before. Last week, Easter, Andrew read a verse that I thought was so helpful as I was wrestling through this. Now, I'm not going to pretend like this verse is talking exactly what we're talking about here. It's not, but it tells us a principle that's true throughout all Scripture. So in Luke 24, verse 37, these are the disciples. Jesus shows up randomly. They were not expecting it. Uh, They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus says, why are you troubled? He asked them. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, he asks that question. And what he says next is so sweet. He says, look at my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. When the disciples were terrified and doubting, what did Jesus say to them? He said, look at me. Look at my resurrected body. Like when you are doubting and struggling, what do you do, friend? Look to Jesus, the resurrected and exalted Savior, victorious for all time. Like you feel like, God, I feel like I'm going to lose my salvation. I feel like I, I have no hope that I will never become like you. It feels like everything is going wrong. What do you do? You look to Jesus. Jesus, I'm so scared. But I trust that you will keep your promises, that you are faithful, that you will do what you said you will do. Look to Jesus. This is the kind of hope that Christians have. Not a fake, vague hope. Like everything's going wrong and we just throw our hands up in the air and say, I don't know, God's got it. No, it's a real hope that feels like, that says, it feels like my heart has been torn out of my chest, but I trust that God is faithful and he will do what he said. And do you know who has that kind of hope? Christians who have suffered. Listen, if you are here, you've believed in Jesus and you've suffered at any point, At the very least, it's not a waste because God is creating in you this kind of hope that is real, that is serious, and that can weather the toughest of storms. That's the hope the world says they have but don't. And that's the hope the world wishes they have but can never have aside from Jesus Christ. A hope that is real. When everything is falling apart, we cling to it and say, God, my emotions are all out of whack. It doesn't feel like you're here. I feel like I'm losing my grip on on what is real. But I'm going to hope in what is unseen because you are resurrected and exalted and above all, and you are faithful to finish what you have started. That is the hope that is possible because Jesus died, was resurrected, and he is exalted now and forevermore. 
So we have the reality of hope and what a hope it is. And we have the reality of inheritance. Look at how Paul describes this inheritance in Ephesians chapter 1. So that you may know the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So inheritance is what's given to an heir after one's death. We are heirs. With Jesus Christ. Because he died and made our inheritance possible. So think. What is our inheritance? What is given to us? Because Jesus died and resurrected and exalted. Well we're going to get a new body. Our our body will be resurrected and perfect. Romans 8 talks about it. Like hey. Jesus was resurrected. Holy Spirit's going to do the same thing in you friend. We're going to reign with Christ. Scripture talks about this, and I have no idea exactly what it means, but somehow we're going to have some kind of power and rule over things with Jesus. That's cool. I don't exactly know how that's going to play out, but that's really cool. Um, and that, that says all throughout, especially I believe in Romans 8, there'll be some kind of reigning with Christ. We're going to get a new heart. No more sin. No more doubts. No more having to cling to hope because the hope of what's to come has come. But best of all, our inheritance is God himself. That's the best gift. The best inheritance is that we have God himself forever. You're going to be able to look him in the eyes. Worship him forever. That is our inheritance. Listen, you need to preach these things to yourself You need to remind yourself over and over and over again of these things. Because our heart forgets it. Like, do not wait till now to have God's word preached. This is necessary. This is commanded. But don't wait till only Sunday for these things to be preached. Look in God's word for yourself. Pull out truths. Hold them up. And then say, okay, what does this mean? Right now, I'm struggling, or I'm full of joy. What does this mean for my heart? God, what does this say about you? What does this say about those that don't know Jesus? What does this say about my family, about my role, where you have me? Preach these things to yourself over and over and over again. Teach yourself what God has said. So we have the reality of hope, the reality of the inheritance that is to come, ultimately God himself, and then we have God's power working toward us who believe. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, skip down to verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. His power is immeasurable like the ocean. More so immeasurable. Now, what is so cool is jump down to verse 20. So verse 19 says, God's using his power working toward us who believe. And then verse 20 says, he exercised this power in Christ by rising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Do you know what that means, friend? The same power that rose Jesus is working in you right now if you've believed in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we get to go around and like yield his power and like 
do awesome, cool things like I want to play the cookies, so I'm going to get to play cookies, or I'm going to turn water into wine, or wine into water. You know, we don't have that kind of power, but you have the Holy Spirit. God's resurrection power is working in you, and that gives you and I hope and something to trust in. For many reasons, two in particular. The first is salvation. In Jude 24-25, and I've read that up here before, and it is one of my just absolute favorite passages. It says, Now to him, God, who is able to protect you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Now to him who is able to protect you, to make you stand in the presence of his glory. The resurrection power is working in you because you're going to get to the end. God is going to make sure he finishes what he started in you. And that's only possible because of God's resurrection power working in you, in your heart. He always accomplishes what he sets out to do. And when you sit around doubting your salvation, struggling with it in that moment, you are doubting the sufficiency and power of Christ's sacrifice and that resurrection power. Like you are doubting that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he will do. Listen, you're not too messed up to be saved, to stay saved, and get home. You're not too messed up. Because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is working in you. Now, this resurrection power is so good because it's working toward us who believe. It's going to get us home. He's going to make us like Jesus. And that is the other hope. It makes us more like Jesus. Now, I want us to get these two things. And this does not discount what I just said. But when you believe in Jesus, you work out your salvation. Now, that does not mean you work to be saved. It does not mean you work to be right with God. But after you are saved, after God calls you, you're called to work out. Begin to live out what is true of you, that you are God's child. And that's not optional. That's not just for the super Christian. Living like God's children, becoming like Jesus, that's mandatory for the Christian. That happens naturally as God the Holy Spirit is working in you. So it is of utmost importance that you sit and you think, is there any obedience in my heart? And I don't mean big, extravagant obedience, even though that is the goal, and we want to see that. Like, do you even hate your sin? Do you have any desire for Jesus? Like, if that's there, even if it's just a little obedience, that is good. That's a start. That is Holy Spirit produced. But listen, if there's nothing there, that does not mean... You aren't saved, but that is, should scare us. Like, sit and think. Is there obedience in your heart? 
Do you hate your sin? Do you run after Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Do you even want to become like Jesus? It may very well be, not that God has failed you, but that you were never saved in the first place. So I say that to warn. Because in any crowd, there's probably a good chance there are people who think they're saved and are not. Inspect your heart. And the New Testament talks over and over and over about this. I'm not just coming up with this on top of my head. But if there is like a desire, if there is a hatred of sin, even if it's little, God's resurrection power is working in you and he's going to grow that if you run after Jesus. So here are the two things that we need to get right. You are not alone in becoming like Jesus. It feels like that, right? Like you hear something like that and you say, all right, I got to roll up my sleeves and I got to, I got to like white knuckle it. Like I have to figure this out on my own. That's not how you do it. Because it's God's resurrection power in you who's doing it. It's God himself who will sanctify you. It's running after Jesus. Asking him to do it. So you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead. It's working in you. You're not alone. But at the same time, it doesn't just happen on accident. Anything like this doesn't just happen on accident. It takes hard work. It takes sacrifice. It takes failing, getting back up again, failing, getting back up again, failing, getting back up again, and just keep going. That perseverance is a sign of God's working in you if you just keep going and running after becoming like Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection and exaltation makes this possible because if he was not risen, and if he isn't exalted, then we have no hope. There is no power. And there is no inheritance. He makes all of this possible. Now the last thing I real quickly wanted to look at was what Paul says right before he talks about Jesus' resurrection exaltation and right before he talked about the three realities. In verse 18, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Do you know what Paul here is saying? These things are already yours if you've believed in Jesus. He's praying that they'll know that it's theirs because of what Jesus has done. That gives even more hope. If you believe in Jesus, the hope, the inheritance, and God's power working in you is yours. It is your reality. I love that. And I love what, Jesus, what, what Paul writes. He says, the eyes of your heart will be open, which means it's more than just knowing. Because there are lots of people who know all of these things, but will stand before Jesus and will spend eternity away from him. The eyes of your heart, it involves your heart, your affections, your love, your awe, your desire. If you are here and you do not No, Jesus. Christ can be your treasure. Trust now in Christ's person and what he did on the cross on your behalf. It is not too late. Christ is the best treasure you can have.
But if you have believed in Jesus, Paul prayed for these things that your hearts will know them. So you should too. Pray that you will know these things. Your heart will know these things. And don't just pray for yourself. Pray for all of us. Pray for me. Preach and teach these things to yourself. Remember that you're going to mess up over and over and over again. But remember that Jesus is praying for you. He is your advocate who's defending you and who's working on your behalf. I'm going to pray in a moment and the offering is going to go from the back forward. Um, As it passes you, let us stand and sing to the great God who gives us hope, inheritance, and his own power working in us to finish what he started. Let us pray. Lord, I praise you. Thank you for everything you have done, I pray. For those here that do not know you, I pray that they will trust in you as their Savior. Sanctify them. Lord, I pray for those here that do know you. I pray that we will cling to your promises. Help us to trust that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you have promised to do. Help us to live out these realities, God. I thank you in your name. Amen.